recording. Oh, I can't minimize when I'm recording. Okay. Um, hello. I am one half of the Real Horror Show podcast, and I'm joined by the better half of the Real Horror Show podcast, The Stormy Skies. That's sweet. Thank you. <laughs> also, my name's Sam. I didn't write that in my script, so therefore, <laughs> I didn't say it. Who are you? <laughs> and this is a very special horror show today because we're interviewing horror writer and anthologist William P. Simmons in honor of hashtag all the horror 2020 and his new horror anthology, Season of the Dead. Thank you. <laughs> how's, how's everyone doing? All right. I guess I'm supposed to answer that. Well, <laughs> it, it's my, am I right? Dead air is evil. Yes. So you can't have dead air. All right. <laughs> it's been about 15 years, quite frankly, since I've been in the profession again. I was making a name for myself back then. So this is the first interview I've done in 15 years. So I'm a little yeah. nervous, but raring to go. The, glad to be among the first. You are the very first. Oh. I have a, a few set up. I'm doing a tour for the book, so we have a few more for this month. But nope, you are helping me uh, break my interview virginity once again. Well, we're honored. <laughs> All right. That sounded kind of kinky, but hey. <laughs> no, that's perfectly fine. <laughs> All right, good. I'm a weirdo. Go ahead. <laughs> we're, we're pretty weird, too. Hey, we should have lots to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so since we've brought it up, and this is why <laughs> we're doing this interview, uh, what can you tell us about Season of the Dead, which came out yesterday, October 1st? Yes, it did. And um, surprisingly, I have to say this just because I'm thrilled. It's the first book, like I said, I've done in 15 years. And the first day it came out, we got six, seven rave reviews. So that was better than getting shitty reviews. So I was quite yeah. pleased. Absolutely. By the way, how clean does the language have to be on this? Oh, you're fine. Uh, we're explicit okay. on unclean. <laughs> I can do I can do G, but I'm I'm rather R. So that's okay. As are we. I mean, you're a horror writer, so anyone <laughs> expecting differently? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I I only you know kill little children once a week and. No. Sorry. All right. Here, about season of the dead. I think the tagline says it best. The Dead Return on Halloween, and this year they have a story to tell. Um, 20 Terrifying Tales, that's what I wanted, focusing on Halloween in many of its variants. I include Samhain, even the equivalent May Day Eve celebration, you know, Beltane, which shared certain similarities with All Hallows. And the stories focus either on that by theme or during the very season of October to capture the fear, melancholy, and exhilaration of All Hallows. Um, if you don't mind me rambling on, <laughs> um, they both, I chose celebrated literary legends, but also, and this was the thrill for me, through research uncovered a lot of unjustly obscure authors and their stories and tried to arrange the stories so that they guide readers through centuries of not only Halloween fiction, but the folklore and evolving history and customs of it as well. 
<laughs> um, no, I think this sounds excellent. And I also um, want to applaud you in actually pronouncing um, Samhain correctly. I've heard that. You mean instead of the traditional Samhain. Samhain. <laughs> I want me a little Samhain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it makes me cringe every time. So it's just. I can understand it, it though, because if you're not weirdos like us and really immersed in this. Yes. You know, you look at it and go, you don't oh, catch Sam it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now, if I may ask, and I don't want to get all veer too much off here but a little Halloween history mm -hmm. what do either of you think about Samhain Samhain remember for decades research pointed out that it was supposed to be the god of the Celtic dead mm -hmm. and now a lot of scholars are kind of retreating away from that do you have any opinion on that I, um, I don't know that much about All Hallows Eve so this is probably okay. more Better and plus, I shouldn't be taking over the interview. Sorry. You're fine. Well, no, essentially, um, all it is is a lot of people had the misconception through early historical texts that you got me thinking about it by talking about Samhain versus Samhain in pronunciation. Mm -hmm. Samhain was supposed to be the god of the Celtic dead. So that's been filtered, interestingly enough, into a lot of the modern fiction of Halloween. You know, when you talk about it, Sam Hain mm -hmm. is the god of the dead, where in historical authenticity, it really wasn't an existing god. Mm -hmm. Anyways, there's a little learning nugget. <laughs> uh, what do you think about that, Stormy? Um, I do recall, uh, like, that being a thing whenever the scholars did retreat regarding that, but um, mm -hmm. I hadn't looked into it any further since since last I had, you know, heard about it, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So no, no real opinion here, just because <laughs> I, <laughs> I haven't um, educated myself further since that moment. Yeah, but I'm glad they're pulling away from it because it's kind of similar to Dias Los Mortos where there's just this big misconception about why it's celebrated and mm -hmm. especially with white communities and white <laughs> culture. Well, if I may say um, both, in reference to the holiday you just mentioned, as well as the figure of Sam Hain, I have two opinions on it. One is, yes, we should get to authenticity and, you know, use real anthropological and historical sources. But I think it's also okay. Here's the thing. The history may be flawed when we use some of these elements in like, say, quote unquote, white culture or fiction. Mm -hmm. But what I find an interesting question is, we're not just dealing with history, but folklore, particularly say for Samhain or Halloween. Mm -hmm. So what I have found is using Sam Hain <laughs> as that evil Halloween figure in fiction, mm -hmm. the scholar in me knows it's wrong and doesn't agree with it, but I think you have to be a little lenient towards the fictionalization of it, if you understand, mm -hmm. because it's became in its own right in the past 40, 50, 100 years, you see where I'm going? Yeah. Its own strand of folklore. So it may not be historical, but it is a piece of the folklore somehow now. Yeah, it's under that umbrella. So and I Wow, can, we I just went back centuries. So <laughs> yeah. anyways, so I, Season I guess of the Dead, here's a nice plug, and it's true. That's <laughs> partly what I'm trying to do in the selection of the stories. Number one, of course, I want it to be entertaining. All right. You want to pick an entertaining, the stories for it. But I also wish to add some information in a fun way in there so that people are better educated in an enjoyable manner about the evolution of All Hallows 
history, folklore, and legend. So each of the stories has historical author and or story and or Halloween notes. And um, I have a general introduction where I try to guide through people in a general manner. You know, I don't wish to bog them down with a 400-page historical (laughs) thesis. I don't think that would sell very well, all right, for this market. It's supposed to be fun. But I do try to mention using literature as a, a mirror, showing the evolution of the holiday we're discussing through the literature itself. I don't know if that sounded too wordy, but that's what I tried to do. Yeah, and it makes uh, perfect sense. And that kind of leads into the second question perfectly with the Samhain Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, In the introduction, you talk about wanting to represent the spirit of October. And how would you describe that spirit Mm -hmm. in layman's terms? Well, simply, I think the spirit of Halloween is as old as time and as unique as each of us in our hearts and souls. It's different for everyone, just like any, you know, serious thought is. But in general, I, I personally believe it's equal parts fear, exhilaration, and a touch of melancholy. Mystery, transformation, it, it, it's a lot of things. <laughs> but those are the ones I would single out. I'm may sorry. I, may I say something in response to that? Um, sure. William, it's It's so uncanny that you would... Um, uh, you know, describe the spirit with um, those specific key terms. Um, uh, as someone who is uh, who is focused on um, Halloween, um, you know, in my writing myself, mm-hmm. I, I myself have come up with a type of, um, I don't know if you can call it an equation, which almost parallels exactly what you just said. <laughs> and I, and nice. I, I use the words anticipation and uncertainty mm-hmm. to describe the spirit. And so it's, it, it was just like a surreal moment that you said almost the same thing that I've, I've always said myself. So well, well, hey, how about we give, that. give ourselves a back clap and what is it? Absolutely. Quote unquote, Air great, high five. great minds think alike or <laughs> yeah. morbid minds think alike. That's more sure. in tune to the season. But, excellent but yes, mm-hmm. I wanted to tap into the essential qualities that I just mentioned of let us call it, as I do in the introduction, old Halloween. Mm-hmm. And what I simply mean by that is, all right, If we're not just talking my love for it as a historian, as a folklorist, which I am, or as a lover of literature and editor writer, just as a human being, I truly enjoy, you know, the modern evolution of the holiday, Mm -hmm. but the darker, more sincere, more poetic part, I guess, of my very being wants to look beyond the veil and kind of help people bring back the true chill mm-hmm. and belief and authenticity that I do think we've lost as Halloween has become more sponsored by Snickers, <laughs> which is fine. I love them, even though I'm diabetic, the little buggers. But if you get what I'm saying without any flippancy here, mm-hmm. I try in this book to find stories that capture, if you can picture it, living in a time not too long ago, actually, if you think about it in terms of the cosmos, Mm -hmm. when you would wake up and you would feel the dead were returning. Such being as spirits did exist. Fairies could abduct your children. Things walked this world. People believed they had a soul, and they wanted to save it. 
And that's not to get into religion. I just meant the authenticity of the belief was there. And I do feel that we've over-commercialized that a little bit. But I'm not preaching because I enjoy those aspects too. <laughs> yes. It's just I want to bring some of the primal fear and awe back into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, that makes sense because you do feature stories by Edgar Allan Poe and Nathaniel Hawthorne, mm-hmm. who came into popularity during uh stormy actually brings it up in her question set the dark romanticism era Mm -hmm. which was a response to i believe transcendentalism uh where one believes the world is perfect and serene and beautiful the other wanted to uh expose the uglies in it but they did it in a very different manner beautiful poetic way like kids today if they probably because it's still taught if they read the telltale heart they wouldn't Mm -hmm. understand what makes it scary because it's not like a saw movie where someone has to cut a key out of their own stomach Mm -hmm. it's more about the um psychological horror aspect well that's one of the things and i think you wanted to get into poe anyways am i correct ladies yeah all right well and you just stormy is a very big poe fan girl you just gave me a perfect segue for it, in fact, or us, rather, yeah. um, talking about Poe and the whole psychological issue you were discussing. One of the reasons I included him in this and that he is so very important and I feel enjoyable, but it's like stages, all right? As I was a teacher at one time, and to interest, as you were talking about the children in Poe, first I would actually get them interested in a little king, a little modern. You get me? You get them hooked. Mm-hmm. It's translatable to their current experiences. And then, of course, you start mining into the psychological beauty of Poe. And anyhow, that's what I find interesting in him. And that's why I think he is so significant to the genre. He was one of the major authors in that time period. Now, you're talking about dark romanticism, and he certainly was. But actually, Poe himself really helped us break away, as much as I love dark romanticism, from the gothic and over-sentimentality of that era into a more psychological, profound venue, if you, if you understand. Mm-hmm. He was one of the few authors where he may have had the trappings of the gothic, but he started focusing on the psychological reaction of characters when they meet the horrific encounter or element. Mm-hmm. instead of just, oh, my God, there's a ghost. <laughs> yeah. Because without being flippant, all right, the Victorian era, and that's, you're right in the way I did focus a little bit on dark romantics. However, I also focused, I would say it more, at least my guideline was, the era of the 1800s, the Victorian era, mm-hmm. up through the early 20th century, simply because I have always found that dealt with the sincerity and the older beliefs and, and those authentic beliefs we were discussing, mm-hmm. more so than, say, if you go too early or back, there isn't a whole heck of a lot of fiction involving Halloween, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. There's ballads, poetry, okay, but not a lot of fiction. And I didn't want to go too deep into the 20th century because it wouldn't have captured that kind of elgaic melancholy Mm-hmm. supernatural essence that I'm trying to reach. But anyways, I was just saying, yes, love Paul. He was very important. <laughs> yeah. And probably the only author that did as much as he did 
to focus on the psychological in weird fiction, you know, call it supernatural, psychological, was uh, Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu, and he was an uh, Irishman. Mm-hmm. And um, he came up with, have you ever heard of uh, Carmilla? That was, that's yes. a very influential vampire novel. And he's not half as well known as I wish he, he really should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I included one of his stories, in fact, in the anthology. And it takes place at Halloween season, and it deals with the fairy. So mm-hmm. the connective point here was, I guess, it's <laughs> they both dealt very much with psychological reaction to the horror experience instead of just booga booga. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes sense for Poe because not a lot of people know if they didn't study him beyond high school is he invented the detective genre. Mm-hmm. So that psychological aspect plays into both versions of both detective stories and horror stories. He also invented to a good part, I think, science fiction, if you think about it. Some of his elements, um, you know, preceding what Lovecraft did, dealt with different <laughs> elements that could be construed loosely as science fiction. Now, we won't spend five hours getting to a kind you know, I don't mean hard science fiction, but more um, a grimmer scientific, more scientific romanticism as H.G. Wells would have represented it later. And Oh, yeah, that makes sense because H.G. Wells was a big Poe fan if I recall. Yeah. Yeah, well, see, there you go. And, you, and, and of course, you know, what's lovely about these people, or at least from my aspect, I care more about the supernatural and fantasy than I do science fiction. That's just my nature. And they would focus a little on the science, but mostly yeah. it was just the way um. to extrapolate <laughs> about the fantastic. So I guess um, as a whole, Stormy and I were both very curious what inspires a person to put together an anthology? Because I know someday we're going to make an anthology under the Real Horror Show brand, but that's stories we collect from living writers, Mm -hmm. not ones we curate from known works. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Well, actually, I just want to point out one of the things I'm proudest about in this anthology and one of the aspects every reviewer so far has been nuts about, which makes me happy, is the chance to introduce not just the known writers. A lot of people have emphasized, you know, there are classical, at their time, best-selling literary legends, all right? I did that on purpose because their work is excellent. But I was just as eager to put in a lot of authors who have been unjustly forgotten. I just wish to point that out because that's one, been one of the pleasures. So I get to introduce voices such as, all right, a lot of people somehow still don't realize the importance female authors played in the development of the supernatural genre. And um, I really was pleased to find the opportunity to put some of their stories out there again some of which haven't been represented for decades. Yeah, I saw Edith Warden in the list. Well, yeah, as, as a poem, that's a poem, yep. But um, also E. Nesbitt, she was a fantastic Victorian author of uh, supernatural stories. And the one I put in is anthologized more than most of her work, but she's definitely worth tracking down. She was an excellent writer. And that story actually resonates, as do a lot of the stories I picked. It can be both fiction, but it, all, it just resonates, as I said, with that feeling of primal folklore and unease. 
you feel yourself sitting by that firelight mm -hmm. on a stormy all hollows. She's very descriptive. But anyways, to answer your point further, um, for me, it was driver. Uh, it, the anthology usually start because I am an expert in the field. I think mm -hmm. about this stuff and have my whole life. <laughs> All right. So that's 46 some years of being <laughs> obsessed with it and researching and writing. Um, for this, I was fascinated on the theme. And most of my work starts that way. It's an energizing principle or a theme. And I actually built the stories around that rather than starting with a story or two and doing it the other way. So when you were collecting these stories, did you run into any mm -hmm. like copyright or estate issues? <laughs> no, I was very careful not to. Yeah. <laughs> you um, have to be very careful about that. And, you know, I respect that. I uh, am an author of near 100 stories. My mm -hmm. last collection was By Reason of Darkness a while ago. And um, I would definitely want my rights mm -hmm. respected for my family or whatever or not, you know so they profit from it. However, I also feel, you know, once you reach mm -hmm. the three, 400 <clears throat> year mark, you know, Absolutely. I like the whole idea of the <laughs> public domain as well, let's say. I think there's something to be said for, for both of it. So I would actually like, you know, if you're still alive and first, second generation, you should get rights for your intellectual property. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if, if a few hundred years of under that carpet, <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah. Let me use it. I know Enola Holmes, the new Netflix Sherlock Holmes inspired movie. Oh, yes. The they got into a little bit of trouble with the Conan Doyle estate because Sherlock Holmes shows right. emotions and the works where he shows emotion are still technically under copyright. <laughs> I'm like, that's, that's a big stretch. Actually, you know, it kind of gives me shivers. This is more horrifying than any post story you could conceive of. <laughs> We're talking about the law. I was a paralegal for six years, and I still have nightmares. <clears throat> In fact, if my honest opinion is there's nothing more terrifying than the legal system, and if you want the best horror novel ever, Franz Kafka's The Trial. That's what Sam and I like some real to call scary the real shit. horror show. Real scary shit? Okay, that's a good <laughs> subtitle. Just re yeah, just real life um, terrifying things such as the law. <laughs> and it has a surrealism to it. That's the yeah. thing. Like if you're talking real life everyday terror, I think there's room number one in this beautiful genre for everything from, I'm going to sound horrible here and get hate mail, from <laughs> cross-comparative mythology to the first literary classics to the gay, today's gut-spewing, you know, breast-biting horror. I was thinking mm -hmm. of a zombie movie, sorry. Um, <laughs> so there's a place for all of it. We just all have our different tastes. Mm -hmm. And um, I lost my train of thought because I was thinking of Burial Ground, an Italian movie where, yeah, <laughs> some sick shit happens. Um, <laughs> what were we talking about? The anthology process. <laughs> yeah, well, until we veered, you know, 50 different yeah. directions away. Mm -hmm. um, oh, real life. All right. So there's room for psychological horror, of course, today. You know, you take a, I think there's a difference between a slasher film, for instance, and a psychological thriller, though. But to me, the thrill is adding the supernatural element into it, or surrealism or magical realism, if you understand. That, that, that's what I guess my true love is. 
I mean, yes, it's scary. A weirdo down the street can come into my house and give me a <laughs> Roto-Rooter enema in my sleep. I don't need that. But to me, it's, uh, I don't know, I think existence is far more mysterious and complex than we know. And I love the finding terror at the breakfast table, if you understand, or subverting mm -hmm. those moments where we think we know what reality is, but we truly do not. That, to me, is far more frightening mm -hmm. than the idea of a killer. Well put, well put. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So among all mm -hmm. the pieces selected for this anthology, did you have any particular favorites to work mm -hmm. with? Let me see here. I have to think here. All right, Man Size and Marble, I already uh, um, pointed out, definitely by the female mm -hmm. author, E. Nesbitt because it does capture in, in her succulent writing and in her atmosphere. It's a combination of kind of the grand gothic, but with the domestic. So I, I find whenever the supernatural in fiction is paralleled by real life issues, you know, such as husband, wife, family problems, the more mundane, that it actually enhances the thrill and the effect of the story. And for a Halloween anthology, hers is right on. It occurs on All Hallows' Eve. It deals with folklore and history. And it's quite depressing, but terrifying. So that was one of my favorites. Another was Kevin's Mystery, I'd have to say, by mm. Julian Hawthorne. He's the not very well-known son mm. of Nathaniel. And... Quite frankly, I defy anyone, I'll argue with them, to tell me that in some aspects, Nathaniel was not a horror author. Now, I'm not saying I hate to pigeonhole, okay? But sometimes for critical analysis, you, you're almost forced to. Yes, he was a dark romanticist. Yes, he dealt with the puritanical ethic and, you know, consciousness. But, man, some of his stories, of his best ones, are rooted in our puritanical history yeah. the terror, the anxieties, mm -hmm. the prejudice. So actually he would make yeah. great reading, I find today, if you're trying if people are trying to really deal with sensitivity and inclusion and, you know, mm -hmm. cross cultural issues. Yeah, and uh, a lot of Nathaniel's work is him kind of coping with the role his ancestors played in the Salem witch trials because Definitely. I his great great grandfather <laughs> was the judge. Was the hanging judge. Yeah, and you know, that's why he removed one of the letters in his name to avoid the curse that was supposedly in his family room or had it put on his ancestor. They actually, mm. I believe he added the W. Interesting. Yes, yes, that is a fact, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, for Definitely his stuff is more him working through some family drama. And anyways, his son, Julian, is uh, I chose his piece. He, um... <laughs> Well, <laughs> he, he was quite the romancer and, and, and scoundrel, so that's entertaining in and of itself. But he um, really tried to keep the whole gothic supernatural element in his time alive. And he was more, let's say, openly devoted to supernatural horror than his father. So there was no question. He wasn't trying to say he was hiding things behind allegory or parable. Mm -hmm. He got to the, to the terror. <laughs> and this story, Kevin's Mystery, again, occurs on All Hallows' Eve. So that was one of the challenge, I have to say, just to veer off again. There's, in the olden days, not as mu much supernatural horror mm -hmm. occurring on Halloween in fiction as you might think. 
All right. So it's so it's really a treasure when you did find mm -hmm. mention of it or it's central to the theme, which this tale of time travel, other dimensions and vampirism really is. So that was a favorite. <laughs> Lastly, probably I'll keep it to three. The Child That Went With the Fairies by the gentleman I discussed earlier, J.S. Lefanu. This, oh, again, captures one of the primal folklore and beliefs of All mm -hmm. Hallows' Eve, dating back to Samhain, in fact, up till in some areas, modern times yet, where the fairies <laughs> certainly weren't cute little tinkerbells. They were primal, raging, beautiful, terrifying elementals, gods, goddesses, beings that could indeed and did often on Halloween come and abduct young women, young men, raped them, bred with them. I mean, this was some serious stuff we were talking about. People believed in this and feared it. And this happens to be a story of abducting an innocent young child mm -hmm. on Halloween. And it's it still, hundreds of years later, chills you. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to show modern audiences or readers as well, if I may. I love modern fiction. <laughs> so it's, you know, I'm not one of those, well, in my day, the vampire did this. On the other hand, though, I don't have much patience with modern readers who think everything more than two years old mm -hmm. is no longer pertinent. Mm -hmm. They were the foundation of what we've built upon. That in and of itself makes these authors interesting. But what I love is when I can see, mm -hmm. say, a story 50 to 100 years old or older, that once you strip down some archaic language, mm -hmm. granted, you have to get past that usually the essential terror and awe is still there. I find that pretty impressive. And I'm trying to share that with people. Absolutely. It's extremely important to be able to share that as well. It's, it's easy to overlook the fact, the connection with, you know, horror mm -hmm. and Halloween being that, you know, ground that was built upon. Yeah. And that's something I always say to people is, uh, not every Halloween movie is a scary <laughs> movie and vice versa. <laughs> Actually, now, if I may understand this right, you two ladies are f focused in your podcast on film, are you not? Yes. Right now, All right. Right now we're reading the newest Twilight book, but that's more of a personal passion. It's more of a, yeah, that's more of a pleasure project than anything. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of film and what you just said, not every um, Halloween film is horror. Have you ever saw the film Boys in the Trees? I have not. Oh, my Lord. Okay. Now, that, track it down if you can. It's very hard to get. I believe it was Australian. It's a supernatural coming-of-age movie. So, it has its drama. It has its uh, realism, its humor. It captures the very essence of everything we've mm -hmm. talked about with Halloween without being particularly violent. Not that I have a problem with that. It's just they don't need to. They go th to the whole root of Halloween and that in a very surprising and chilling way. But it wasn't marketed, is my mm -hmm. point, as a horror film, mm -hmm. which I have found, all right, not, not to be the Cliff Clavin of literature or, or film. Is that too uh, old of a reference for you girls? Maybe a bit. <laughs> Maybe. He was a know-it-all know character on a show called Cheers, mm, okay? Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So I don't want to go on and on and on. However, mm -hmm. with... Um, I also used to review films, and I've done liner notes, and I love horror fiction. Um, I, I mean, film as much as fiction for mm -hmm. there. So 
when I say check that film out, oh my God, you will thank me. <laughs> you know what? I've, it, it, I've it, heard of great. that movie and I, I think yeah. I've heard of it too now that I've looked it up. <laughs> well, uh, well, another thing I was just going to point out, and I see this in horror films a lot, some of the greatest ones are those that aren't marketed as horror. Yeah. If you know what I'm trying to say. I mean, you know, marketing, that's what it's for. It's for the publishers or the producers mm -hmm. or, you know, it's when consumerism involved. It doesn't mm -hmm. really get to the heart of what a film is. Mm -hmm. Which is uh, what happened to Jennifer's body way back in the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It wasn't That should have been recognized much more than it was, I believe. Yeah, it was marketed towards horny teenage boys <laughs> instead of girls who was its intended audience. Well, see, being one of those uh, once upon a time horny teenage boys, <laughs> I understand that. All right, just like the horny teenage girls like their thing. It's all, I think, <laughs> an evolution of your age process and yeah. growing maturity. But one of the things that hurts, I believe, the horror genre, and this started way back in the 50s. You know, before the early 50s when American International Pictures, you're aware of them probably, Corman and all of those, mm -hmm. came out with the drive-in film, which really, I believe, started... Yes, with the blob, but e even besides that, I was a teenage Frankenstein. That was a big hit, and that's when films, horror and sci-fi films, began to be marketed towards a younger audience, the driving crowd. You go, giggle, you know, you have an excuse to hold her closer, and you watch your thrills and titillation, okay? Mm -hmm. My point is, before that, horror films, believe it or not, if you look at the 30s and 40s, were made mostly for adults. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever caught on to that but if you really look at it they dealt with adult characters most often mm -hmm. and adult themes and concerns mm -hmm. the reason i mention this since we're talking horror film and jennifer's body and the horny teenage kids mm -hmm. is you know all right so in the 50s you start marketing them more towards children so or not children excuse me jesus <laughs> <laughs> come here lucy watch this you know holy shit i i'm pretty liberal but i have i have a point um no but see and then of course you get more sex and violence you get the more exploitative elements right mm -hmm. and again i believe that has a place too so i'm not preaching about that it's all an aspect of our humanity good or bad mm -hmm. but i do feel what has happened especially and yes i love a good slasher occasionally okay that's my guilt cinema mm -hmm. but i feel since the 50s and then the 60s and then the 70s and especially in the 1980s as revered as that decade is now by people who didn't live through it <laughs> which i did it's mostly been for too long about the horny teenager mm -hmm. so i'm actually happy that there have been films coming out lately for well maybe a decade now that are getting a little more mature a little more complex have a real storyline for god's mm -hmm. sake and it's not all about, oh, my God, you showed me your breasts. You are going to die in five, four, three, yeah. all right, you know. Exactly. Which has nothing to do with Season of the Dead, which is conveniently <laughs> located and available at Amazon mm -hmm. and Goodreads in ebook and trade paperback. I'm just trying to bring it back mm -hmm. here. See, I told you I love to talk horror. Yeah, you're fine. Um, so bringing it back to Season of the Horror uh, with all the Poe work that's in circulation, that was the first thing that caught my eye in the table of contents. Mm -hmm. You picked one of his lesser taught pieces, and I brought that up with right. Stormy when I saw it. <clears throat> Yulaloom. I believe I'm correcting it pronounced, mm -hmm. Lee. It's a bastard to do so. <laughs> yes, it's one of his rarer poems. The reason I brought that up is, all right, going back to part of 
this also includes your question of, you know, why put together an anthology, what your goals are, mm -hmm. okay? Well, we already discussed my goals were to capture certain flavors of Halloween in fiction, folklore, even history in an entertaining way, hopefully. Another thing was, all right, what criteria do you use? For me as an anthologist personally, the biggest is quality. All right, I don't, you know, some people, if they have a theme, they use it religiously, and yeah, you try to have them all fit the particular theme, okay? Mm -hmm. But I don't wish to do that if I just have a horrible story to put in. So the stories have to be excellent, or the poetry or whatever. That's the other criteria. But my other, as I think I mentioned before, <sighs> guiding vision for any of the works that I put together as an editor anthologist is I wish to combine the forgotten and obscure, kind of like a dark treat, mm -hmm. if you will, instead of, all right, here's the problem. I, as an experienced critic, author, you girls as well, anybody who has spent a lot of time, say, exploring the genre, in fiction now we're talking, mm -hmm. okay? Same thing with film would apply. You start, you start to run into the same tired motifs and stories, and if you take supernatural fiction, and horror especially, they repeat the same damn mm -hmm. stories mm -hmm. in every single anthology for 200 years. Yeah. Now, that's fine, and I'm not bitching about it. If you are a new reader, I envy you your exploration. Okay, I'd love <laughs> to experience the greats again. Okay, so people are going to be talking like this 50 years from now about reading Stephen King for the first mm -hmm. time, for instance. Okay, they're going to be like, holy shit, Salem's Lot. Oh. <laughs> All right, just like people were, oh my God, that vampire Dracula did what? Holy shit. Okay, but after a while, I'm hoping, you know, to give somebody something that's not just the same old thing. Mm. So with Poe, that's why I put this poem, poem in. I, I mean, instead of, my God, how many times do you have to include the Black Hat, <laughs> the Fall of the House of Usher? They're great. They're, they're, they're necessary works of art. But like I said, um, they've had their time and they'll be in 50 more anthologies in the next week. <laughs> and, I'm try and I was really trying to include, I'd say at least 40% of the stories I'm trying to give adventurous horror readers and Halloween lovers are unique and original and not something the average dude's going to walk into Walmart and pick up. <laughs> so that's kind of that kind of my selling point. It's like, hey, you think you know Halloween? You want some scares? Okay, check this out. You never heard of this, did you, buddy? Once again, very well put. You think you know Halloween. <laughs> yeah. And that was the point, I'm sorry, I, with the poem, all right? It's not his best work. I won't pretend it is, but it is still a fine work. And it, even though it never comes out and spells it out for you, like a lot of fiction has to today, you know, beat you in the face <laughs> with it, it's heavily suggesting that it occurs on All Hallows' Eve. So it has the windswept October melancholy and fear in it. It represents his dark, tragic approach to romance and the death of beauty and decay. Holy shit, man. I want to go read it right now. It sounds so good. But all right, that, that's why I chose that one instead of just repeating, you know, the same old, well, here it is, House of Usher. Yeah. Great movie, by the way. But I'm talking about the Roger Corman mm -hmm. one. Vincent Price. 
Um, so I, I'll be wrapping up the questions unless Sam has um, other questions that are brought about by the conversations we're having. Um, but since we are discussing Poe, I must say, Excuse what me. is your favorite Poe work and why? I'd say probably Legia. Mm, uh, all right. Not, well, and, and, and really, uh, by extension, Morella, I believe, also has similar themes to that, too. Mm. Um, why is that? Well, mm -hmm. it's wonderfully written, of course. Mm -hmm. I also have a thing like Poe for beauty, finding sublime beauty and decay. Mm -hmm. Not not the first thing, you know, I wanted to tell my in-laws when I met them, hey, mm -hmm. I, I like the death of beauty. How the hell are you? Um, <laughs> but um, I think it's um, wonderfully written. And it does have that combination I've made so much about between the psychological and the supernatural. The mm -hmm. ambiguity is there. And I don't like ambiguity for its own sake, where you know the author's just trying to say, look at me, I'm one smart fella. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or uses it as an excuse because he wasn't talented enough, or she, to wrap up their own plot lines. That's not the kind of ambiguity I like. Mm -hmm. But I do enjoy, like, have you ever heard of Robert Aikman? Of course. <laughs> I'm probably not pronouncing it right, God help me. But I love him as an author. Mm. because There is no way to properly analyze one of his stories. But I don't feel he's being ambiguous just to trick you, if you understand. Same thing with this Poe story. It could be a psychological interpretation or supernatural or indeed both. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones I love best, where it doesn't have to be one or the other. Mm -hmm. You know, life isn't one or the other. That's what makes it so damn scary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I truly don't feel we do know what reality is. And that's one of the chief joys Lovecraft even pointed out in his work was, I'm not going to try to quote them, but it was more or less defying and or attacking what we feel is real. Mm -hmm. You know, science, logic. And I believe he does that in that story. Plus little Excellent. kid ghosts, to be mm -hmm. honest. This is a personal <laughs> confession. Mm -hmm. And women ghosts scare the piss out of me. But, but, <laughs> but attract me. Oh, yeah. I don't know what, you know, the shrinks are going to say about that, but... <laughs> I think everybody can shake their head in silent agreement at that. I think we all feel that deep. Down. Nothing terrifies my fat ass more than a little malevolent kid ghost. Well, all right, Absolutely. here's why. If you're not just talking fiction, but real life here, let's assume we will agree just for the sake of argument that there's the possibility of the supernatural in life, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, if you take an adult spirit, I also study metaphysics, mysticism, and, and ghosts. So, all right, I'm gonna regale you with this um no I've, I've just always thought of what traces my own fear back to this is all right an adult ghost say it's malevolent is bad enough but at least it's dealing with a more or less stable yeah right adult <laughs> consciousness now you take a child and i've raised my daughter on my own as a single parent i did for a lot of years mm -hmm. and i love children but bullshit to anyone who, who goes by the old theory, they're all innocent. Yeah, we'll tell that to the 1692 victims of the witch hysteria when kids were saying, she put a spell on me. <laughs> I got you back, you old bitch. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's what happened back in 1692 Salem. All right. So my point being, now take a, the spirit of a child that's malevolent. Any child, no matter how good he or she is, you're moved by 
primal elements. Do you understand? Mm. You want your food now. You want mm. this now. You're quicker to anger. Do you understand what I'm saying? Vindictiveness, mm. because you are a child in that stage. So why wouldn't the spirit of a child be more goddamn scary? <laughs> Do you get me? You're not going to reason with them. Mm-hmm. They're children. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be easier to piss off. Mm-hmm. I've thought about this way too much. <laughs> and believe it or not, I have a cum laude honors degree in English. <laughs> all right. So we're all educated here. But I got to tell you, those go scare me. Mm-hmm. All right. Go mm-hmm. ahead. Excellent. Um, so moving on from that, and I think that's an excellent segue to this question. Um, so, of course, if it wasn't already obvious, uh, we understand that you are a horror lover. Yes. Um, <laughs> stop me if I'm wrong. But I must ask, what was the turning point that made you realize that you wanted to create horror by way of your own writing, uh, compilations of stories and anthologies, mm-hmm. anything else? What, was it a life event, something personal, anything? What was that turning point? Well, all right. First off, yes, I have been. <laughs> I am a, a horror author. I've also worked as a critic, reviewer. Cemetery Dance Publishers Weekly did a stint for Rue Morgue way back in the day. I'm proud of that. Mm -hmm. And I've edited, I've tried to be in every aspect I could before, quite frankly, disease, personal tragedy, and some other spooky stuff that I wouldn't get into Mm -hmm. made me actually leave the whole genre, like I said, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, What turned me towards it my earliest memory as a child, believe it or not, is sitting in the back seat of my parents' car watching a giant bug movie, um, <laughs> Empire of the Ants, Burt I. Gordon. So fear right there, but also a strange form of pleasure. Um, more to the point, I grew up near the Catskills, where I still live, mm-hmm. and I was an only child. I wasn't allowed to play with other children. There were none there. So mm-hmm. I was exposed to the elderly, great parent, uh, grandparents, great-grandparents my whole life, day in and day out. The good part about that was I grew up being immersed in folklore, legend, the old ways, superstition. So that fed it. My grandfather, I remember, used to try to scare me. I had a sick family. It's okay. <laughs> saying, don't go out back. The wolf man's there. <laughs> and they tell me to this day I came up crying because I couldn't find him. So I guess I was always a little weirdo. Mm -hmm. And um, it just kind of grew from there. Horror was my friend. But I'd like to point out, it's not just, everybody has their own thing. For me, horror just doesn't represent the evil or the terror. It's also strangely hopeful. And this becomes more important to me as I get older and closer to my own death, if you will. Yes, I'm going to get more serious now. You have (laughs) the pleasure which it gives me. And I love to give that scare and pleasure to others but i also truly believe there is a cathartic an element of pathos in what we do Mm -hmm. you are rehearsing for death as well as the death of your loved ones you are able to play with the dark stuff of morality and mortality do you see what i mean just like halloween itself how's that for a segment Mm -hmm. way way you're 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 enjoying it plus facing it And you take the most horrific horror story, let's say a ghost story, uh, just because that's what I'm in the mood for. All right. No matter how terrifying it might be, even even if it's a horrible, tragic ending, your soul's crushed. You're going to hell if, you know, you want to do the old-fashioned Christian mythos story. Mm -hmm. 
I find it hopeful because even the worst one does give you that promise, that dark secret whisper that at least you're not just going to die and be eaten by worms. <laughs> so no matter what your thought is of an afterlife, you know, no matter what your religion, for a moment, that terror is also your friend. You're experiencing it in a vicariously safe way. Understand? Mm-hmm. And you're, you're having that biological thrill, the roller coaster. You're having your fun with it. But psychologically, if you want to embrace it, there's also what I'm talking about, which is that just suggestion. All right, so there's a demon here. That's bad. The ghost, that's bad. Mm-hmm. But you know what's good? That means you just don't drop dead and everything you went through in your existence was for nothing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I made my point eloquently enough, but there it is. <laughs> I think that that was um, an eloquent point and that's an excellent answer. So I think you fulfilled that question. Okay. <laughs> I, I tried to beat it around the best I could. No, you, yeah. you maintained your point very well. So um, well, we are coming. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we're coming to around an hour mark here. And I think we have time for one final question. Yep. And um, I want to kind of come full circle with the focus, like stated before, mm-hmm. of Real Horror Show. Um, so my question for you mm-hmm. is, what is your favorite scary movie? All right. Same with my favorite scary book, and I think anybody would say this. It changes moment by moment, okay? At the moment, I lo- uh, there's a couple. May I quick? Absolutely. The Gates of Hell, Lucio Fulci, an Italian yeah. film. Full of depravity, violence. It's weird. I'm, I'm talking eloquent, like I said, about spiritual terror and, and subtle shadows and quiet horror. But as I also said, part of my nature is I love both extremes, say. So, Gates of Hell, a woman pukes up her guts. Mm -hmm. All right, it's very nasty. But Fulci, the director, almost had a child love, a childlike love of the bizarre and grotesque atmosphere, which is what I love about it. Plus, I saw it when I was about eight or nine, without Mm -hmm. my parents knowing, and I couldn't sleep that night. (laughs) And it stayed with me. Um, another would be The Haunting of Julia. Now, its other name is Full Circle. It was originally, I think, produced in Canada based on Peter Straub's ghost story. Mm-hmm. It's not very well known or very well liked. I happen to love it. <laughs> it has what we were talking about, the, the evil child ghost, and mm-hmm. it's very uh, sinister and well done. And The Changeling. I'm thinking that's one I really love with George C. Scott. And that's another ghost story. Excellent. So th- those are some fa- uh, favorites right now. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, great. Um, I uh, have no more questions or no more thoughts, Sam. If um, you have any further questions, go ahead. And then I will uh, you know, conclude this episode with the outro. I think we're may, ready for May I outro. just say real quickly? Um, mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on and being so nice and discussing these things with me. I would like to point out, if it's okay, Mm -hmm. Season of the Dead, (laughs) Supernatural Mm -hmm. Horror for Halloween is available now on Amazon and Goodreads. Mm -hmm. Please consider buying a copy. I need potatoes to eat. Um, (laughs) And I really did put my heart into it, and I think it will 
it will be enjoyable for true lovers of Halloween and a certain type of supernatural horror fiction. I'd also mm -hmm. like to thank all the horror for giving all three of us this opportunity and mm -hmm. just throw out a mention again. I think what they're doing for the charity Scares That Care is terrific. And I, um, mm -hmm. I hope they're very successful with it. And I'm glad to support it, as I'm sure you girls are. That was yeah. it. I just <laughs> absolutely no. It was a delight um, to speak with you. It's always a delight to find someone who is also not just a horror lover but a Halloween lover. Um, yes. You know, because you don't get those a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I'm glad to have made this connection with another person <laughs> who likes pleasure. the same stuff. Yes. Absolutely. So thank you for taking the time. Well, thank you. Um, absolutely. So I'm going to go ahead and just simply repeat a bit of what you just said. So um, Season of the Dead, <laughs> it's okay. It's available in paperback and as an ebook on Amazon and Shadow House Publishing. Yes. Um, Buy <laughs> me. Yeah, Sorry. Absolutely. <laughs> William has been very generous in donating 10 copies of the anthology to All the Horror. So if you make a purchase of $10 or more from All the Horror store, you will receive a free copy with proof of purchase, of course. Um, all proceeds uh, for merch sales will go towards Scares That Cares. Scares That Cares was founded by Joe Ripple in 2007. He started this organization as a tribute to a friend's daughter who succumbed to terminal illness. The charity originally started with the goal of raising $10,000 per year for organizations such as Make-A-Wish and the Kennedy Krieger Institute. Merchandise can be found at allthehorror18.wixsite.com slash event slash merch or alternatively www.tpublic.com slash user slash all the horror all right and i will just segue very smoothly into our <laughs> real horror show outro um real horror show was created by sam odie and stormy skies and is directed by sam odie um today we learned a lot about the connection between horror halloween literature film everything and why it's extremely important to understand the understated works um, just as much as the popular works like you stated, William. Mm -hmm. um, so like what you hear, you can find Real Horror Show on Spotify, TuneIn, Google Play Store, Stitcher, and iTunes. Really, really like what you hear. Follow us on Twitter at Horror Show Pod, rest in peace, underscore, underscore, <laughs> or search for Real Horror Show on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook at Real Horror Show, like our page and share our stuff. We also have a website that all of our written reviews and podcasts can be found, realhorrorshow.com. Uh, we don't post written reviews all so much. We're a bit busy. However, the ones that are available on our website are excellent. They're doozies. Go check them out. Uh, want to interact with us? Want to make sure we're real humans and not space vampires? <laughs> <laughs> Comment on our website or email us at realhorrorshowpodcast at gmail.com. Want to argue with us about something or think you have a really great horror movie review that you're dying to share with two random strangers from the internet? Submissions are open for movie reviews as they always are. Check out the submit page on our website and follow the rubric before sending us anything. If it is not done according to the rubric, it will be disregarded. Sorry, not sorry. Ouch. Uh. <laughs> Submissions are open for our yearly <laughs> anthology called the October Monologues. As always, check out the submission guidelines on our website and send us your creepy shit. We love horror, and if you're listening, you do too. Please help us keep our project going by visiting our support page on our website, where you can make a one-time donation via PayPal. We also have an Amazon wish list. If you feel like buying us something tangible will help convey your love more than a monetary donation would. 
Also, buy us a coffee is a button you can click that will pay us the amount you would need to buy a coffee. A little bit goes a long way. Sometimes we can help out artists monetarily and that's okay. By simply liking, sharing, retweeting, and even giving us an awesome review will help us out tremendously. Any other pertinent news, Sam? <laughs> I don't think so. Our outro song is called Creepy Doll by Jonathan Colton. Thank you, fuck off, and have a swell evening. And this is Real Horror Show signing off. Bye-bye. Bye. I love the creepy doll.